Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast and my name's Jerry Alexander. I started this project a little under two years ago and to be fair, I'm pretty amazed I've got to 100 episodes. And not only that, I haven't missed a single week. <laughs> I have to admit it's been touch and go sometimes as to whether we would manage to get an episode out in time for our Thursday release date. It actually takes quite a bit of effort to get each episode constructed, recorded and edited. If there's guests, of course, there's organising it all and making sure that the tech works. There are some great people behind me and I certainly couldn't do this by myself. That's not to say if you're thinking of starting your own podcast that you can't do it on your own to start with. It took me ages to decide to actually get going, but I'm so glad I did. So if you're sitting on the fence about running or launching your own podcast, then get off the fence this year and get it done it'll definitely be worth it. So before I go any further, I want to thank our team. That's Blair, Sarah and Megan for the work you do in the background to make this podcast work. Thanks also, of course, to our guests and of course to you, our listeners, without whom it would be rather pointless. I had wondered what I should do for this 100th episode. I toyed with a few different ideas. Whether we should maybe get in special guests, of course, whether we should do a medley of different clips from different episodes in the past... But in reality, most ideas were really just to satisfy my ego. So I've chosen to ignore the centenary and focus on, on giving you an episode that could really make a difference to your year. As it's the start of all things new, I want to share an episode that could really make a difference to you during this coming year. I'm going to focus in on a strategy that has worked really well for us over the years and one that you can use too. I'm going to give you some insight and tips into buying an existing CMO building. Now, for those of you not in the know, a CMO property is one with multiple commercial customers. It's the HMO of the commercial world. It is a high cash flowing strategy when you get it right. There are lots of factors that can make a multi-let property succeed or indeed fail, of course, and lots of things you can do to change a failing building into a successful one. But the key thing is to understand the different parts that make up a good property, a successful one. I have discussed this a little bit before, but today I'm going to go deeper into this tactic. This could be a strategy that will make a big difference to your commercial aspirations and results this year, so listen up. The first thing to ask yourself, though, is why would you want to buy an existing CMO building rather than a vacant property? And a lot of people I work with do think straight away about buying a vacant property or they've spotted a vacant one and they're thinking about, right, I could maybe convert this into CMO. And they almost, I guess, ignore the ones that actually already are CMOs, but maybe just not being run very well. So let's just talk about some of those things that you can have a look out for and why you would actually want to consider buying one that's already up and running. Now, the first one, of course, is cash flow. 
It has moving parts and potential income. Of course, it could be an outflowing income, i.e. it's not making any money, it's losing money at the point of purchase. But the point is, it's a moving vehicle. There's something happening there, and that can be positive. Certainly the ones that we've bought generally have had a positive cash flow, which has helped. And of course, it's proven the fact that this building can actually work as a multi-let, which will help with potential finance or lenders for you on that project. And of course, leading in from that is debt servicing is a possibility. There may be income on that building that will help feed the debt. Now, if you're working with a high street bank, I appreciate you may need some other factors in there to make that work. But debt servicing is one of the key things they look at. Also, if there's a property that's already up and running, it can be faster to get complete and move on to your next deal. We've had a few projects where they have been vacant, but it's taken a long time to redevelop them fully and properly. And that has all sorts of other ramifications, not least the cash flow position, the debt that you have to take on, and I guess a higher level of risk because there isn't the proven element there of customers already being in the building. And we've bought a couple of buildings where actually they've been pretty well occupied, but there was maybe a poor P&L, which you can change quickly. So what I mean by that is a profit and loss. There might be a poor profit and loss on the building, but that's because factors that have been put in place like cleaners, suppliers, managing agents are all taking perhaps a cut that's a little bit too big or perhaps are being paid more than they maybe should be. And these things are reflected in the profit and loss. And actually, when you get into the paperwork, you can discover ways of reducing the costs and not necessarily increasing the income, but it improves the profitability. Basically. These buildings have problems which should really reduce the price. More than that in a bit, of course. We have bought a number of buildings this way, by the way. It really is, especially in the early days, because there was that income already there which helped, as I say, with the borrowing. Now, I'm going to go through a few tips and things to look out for. But you can't just use one of these as the reason you're going to buy a building. There must be a combination. For instance, a poorly performing building might be performing badly because of where it is or what it is and you might not be able to change that or it could be the price expectation of the owner just blows the project out of the water so make sure you're getting more than just one tick in these boxes so first seek out challenges what are the problems and work out if you can fix them so i'm just going to run through some of the things that we've discovered on projects we've bought or projects we've looked at and then subsequently bought that have really actually helped add value or allowed us to add value by identifying some of these challenges. So I've got 10 here. So the first one is, it's poorly occupied. <laughs> That's a given, right? So it's maybe got some vacancy there. There could be lots of reasons for it, but that is a good sign. Now, sometimes it might be a bad sign because actually the building is just not good quality not the right type of space for the current market. We're going to go into that a little bit. But poorly occupied is actually something that perks up my interest. Sometimes we've bought some fool, but it's just got a problem with occupancy. The second thing is it's been poorly marketed. And I don't necessarily mean for sale, but actually just the space. The space is not being marketed to um, small businesses, occupiers. They can't find it. It's not particularly well broadcast that there's space. The third one is it's poorly priced. So a number of our acquisitions have been fairly well occupied, as I just mentioned, but they were simply 
underpricing. They hadn't worked out where the price point was in the market. And we were able to buy these buildings at a multiple based on the current income, but understanding that the income could be much higher once we got in on our feet through the door, as it were. And actually, a number of our CPI customers, customers that we've been working with and helping with commercial, have done the same. They've bought buildings that are fairly well occupied, but actually just really underpriced. But you've got to understand how to look at the market to work at where the price point should be. The fourth one is current owners are inflexible for new clients. It could be that they're making the wrong offer right now for what the market's looking for. And despite the feedback from customers, some landlords, particularly larger ones, can be inflexible. So it might be that they have a space for 5,000 square foot. They're trying to let out. It's been on the market forever. And actually the agent or indeed the owner themselves have been approached by quite a number of people and businesses, but they're looking for 10,000 square foot or they're looking for 1,000 square feet. But the current owner is pretty inflexible and doesn't want to change the space. They're just holding out for somebody to come along and get that bigger space. Now, that might be because flexibility is not their thing. Or it might be because their shareholders and promises they have out there are that they're only doing a specific type of space and size. But you don't know that. By looking at stuff and stock that's been on the market for a long time and asking questions, you might be able to find actually it's just because they're not flexible. They're just not going to divide up space or indeed increase the size of space for the current market. So the fifth one is the P&L, which I mentioned earlier on. It's those issues where it's been poorly run, poorly managed, quite often by a national agent, I have to say, where they have many other priorities. But the actual expenditure is not really been taken care of by anyone in particular. And if you are a private investor, which hopefully you are, that's why you listen to this podcast, you should have the ability in time and the skills to be able to actually manage those buildings more effectively, which can really increase your cash flow. So that's another good one to look out for. That's the one I really like, because it's one that you can change quickly. The sixth one is a poor sales process. So you might have found one of these properties, inquired maybe about space for yourself, and you found that there's nobody on site doing viewings, or you have to go down to the local agent's office to pick up the keys and do the viewing yourself. And even worse, there's no follow-up. There's no process for actually making sales for space. And that can be something that can be remedied quite quickly. But it's also something that can kill space if people aren't willing to sell it. So a good example would be, um, I'm sure you've seen signs for buildings for sale or indeed for let. You've made a phone call. Nobody picks up the phone. When somebody does finally pick up the phone, it's not the right person. So you leave a message. They don't return your call. Then you phone up again. And finally, you speak to the right person. They say, oh, that's sold or that's been let three years ago. And It's just that frustration where somebody is not taking ownership of the sales process, but actually that's the opportunity for you. I know it can be frustrating, that sort of thing, but that highlights an opportunity for you. The next one was poor visibility. I said about poorly marketed, but this one's about actual site visibility. Is the building surrounded by shrubbery and trees and you can't actually see it? Is it near a good road, but there's no signage? Is there something in the way in front of the building? What can you do? Lighting, what is it that you can do to make it more visible? Because that can really change things around. And leading on from that, the eighth one is just, is it, does it look run down? 
So it might be that it's a bit neglected, the landscaping needs tidying up, but also it's just maybe not a nice place to be in, or it doesn't feel like a nice place to be in. Maybe it needs redecorated. Maybe it needs some more modern furniture or newer space for, for the entrance. But I would put in a word of caution here, be careful not to be affected by your own prejudice here and judge what clients want, because not everybody wants five star and not everybody wants two star. You need to kind of work out where the customers are for that building and get the optimum offer. So as I say, don't prejudge what clients want. Most people like a nice space to work in, right? Bright. Something that's a bit more um, decorated, more modern, and just makes it feel nice. It's not something that you have to completely refurb the entire space. It might just be painting, redecoration, tidying up the shrubbery, making the landscaping look better so that it doesn't feel run down. The ninth one is the wrong size of spaces. So it might be that the building's got lots of vacancy, back to number one, poorly occupied, but they're all huge spaces, or they're all tiny spaces, and the market's flooded with tiny spaces. I have to say, I've not seen that very much, but it could be the possibility. And it just needs to change, because customers are not looking for that. And the last one is the wrong quality of space. So is actually the space, as I mentioned there, on the two to five star, is it not the right type that people are looking for right now in that market for that type of offer? Whether it be um, even retail, whether it be office space, storage, what is it that the market is really missing in those different sectors? So retail is a good example. There's a lot of high street, big units available, small windows at the front, huge deep units, and actually... That doesn't mean that retail's dead, it just means that those types of spaces are maybe not so popular right now and you need something a bit smaller. Maybe you have to look at whether you can split these sorts of things up. It's what we do a lot of the time with office and industrial. So really what I'm referencing there on those last two is that market analyzer. And I've mentioned that before, some of you will know what I'm talking about. It, it's about finding what the market is looking for and what the market is currently supplying. So if you if you haven't come across that before, if you jump on the Commercial Property Investor website, you will be able to get a free download of the market analyzer. It's basically just a map or a picture, if you will, of what the market should include. And it's up to you to fill in the blanks. What's currently been satisfied and what isn't in your local area that you're looking at. It's about recognizing that the existing owner is not providing the optimum product for the current market. On a number of occasions, we've bought a property with space sold for one type of use. But actually, it could be changed. So for instance, we've had some spaces where we've bought a building and they're being used for storage. Now, this is a, an easy one to show as an example, but it's amazing how many times this has happened. Bought a building, space has been used for storage. Once that person's moved out, we've relet it without too much effort, as in lots of painting or decorating or re or capital expenditure, really just decorating the space, maybe putting down a new carpet. And we've upped the income by a factor of five or more. Imagine that, having a space let it say £200 per month. You've bought a building. It's been This particular space has been let out at £200 a month. So the price you paid for the building will be based on that income. And then you relet it after a limited amount of spend, for £1,000 a month. What does that do to your pocket and your cash flow? What does that do to the value of the property? I can think of several instances where this has happened. 
not just to us, but to other customers on CPI, as I say. You don't get that opportunity all the time, and you certainly don't get it in residential, but it is possible. So, okay, Jerry, I'm listening, but where on earth do I find these perfect properties you're describing? I've been looking for ages, and there just aren't any in my area. Sorry, but I'm sure there are. (laughs) Sometimes they're just hidden in plain sight. Other times, yes, you have to dig about for them, but rest assured they are out there. A number of the ones we've bought over the years were off-market. Sometimes we approached them, we identified a market where we felt there was a need, and we sought out the right type of property, and we approached them. And we may have had to pay slightly higher, but particularly if they're underselling the space, that's okay, because you know the value will be much higher once you've adjusted the rents. Now, you don't do that overnight. Well, we don't. We don't go in and suddenly change rents for everybody. You do over time. As people move out, you move, new ones move in, you up the price, up to the market rate. We're not talking about charging people a fortune, just talking about charging the market rate. And that, over time, makes a huge change to your cash flow and the value of the property. In other occasions, people have approached us who are looking to offload buildings. But it always comes back down to the same 10 things. Somebody approaches you, you find a building. It's about the visibility, the sales process. Are they run down? What's the size of the space? What's the quality of the space? What's the profit and loss like? Are they flexible about new clients or actually they pretty stayed in their ways? Is it poorly priced? The one I've mentioned there a few times. Is it just poorly marketed? The online visibility is pretty poor. The marketing by the agent, if it's going through an agent, is just in their shop window. It's been there forever. Are they poorly occupied? These are all the things that you need to look out for, whether it's finding a building through an agent, whether it's finding a building that's already on the market, you know, it's actually for sale, or whether indeed it's just finding, I guess, not necessarily an owner that's ready to sell, but finding an owner who has one of these buildings that's currently a bit of a liability for them or not performing as well as it could do. And when we've approached people to buy buildings off them, we don't do it you know, we want to buy next week, we take our time. It's a bit of a dance because, you know, you want to get it for the right price too. But the more and more people you talk to, the more and more opportunity you have for getting something at the right price. It might be, though, that if you're talking to agents, then one of the questions to ask is that one I've mentioned before. Do they have any partial income producing properties? That might help you. And it might be, though, that you're finding it difficult to visualize what these types of opportunities actually look like because it's all very well talking about it on the podcast but actually what do they look like now you might want to pop on um our website so our main business our operating business is called liberty space you could have a look on there and you can see some of the buildings that we do but if you would actually like to see some of the buildings physically that we've acquired through this particular strategy we do have an introduction to cash flow and commercial property and a tour day set up for next week on the 12th of jan it would be a great way for you to kick off your new year to have a look at these types of buildings to see this type of thing that you're looking for details are of course in the show notes and on our website but i do appreciate that's no good to you if you're listening to this after the event of course (laughs) we do have plans for having more but there won't be another one for at least six months but what to do is register your interest on the website and we'll let you know by email when the next one's actually going to be coming up So thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review. Give us some feedback. 
anything you'd like us to talk about, anyone you'd like us to interview, or some of the things you found of value. And thank you to Jay for leaving us a great iTunes review last week. Really appreciate you taking the time to do that, Jay. It's really helpful. It really helps lift the visibility of the podcast too, so we can reach more listeners, which means that in time we can reach out for more guest speakers and interviews and such. So thank you all again for tuning in. 100th episode, can't believe it, it's fantastic. Looking forward to doing many more. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey for us. I've really enjoyed it. Looking forward to 2022. I hope it's going to be a fantastic year for you. And we shall speak to you again very, very soon.